Amen. All right, if you don't mind standing and go to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at what's called the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. It says like this, the scripture says this, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine are the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You can be seated. Some translations don't have that last line. Depends on what translation you're reading. It's because of manuscripts, uh, which I could go into more detail on, but um, it certainly is consistent with the heart and the prayers of, uh, of Jesus. Now, this is the last message on the series, Fuel for the Fire, uh, that I started on January 1st. And in, the, in that series, I've done two messages on... Um, fasting, and this is the third message actually on prayer. And, you know, there's two end goals from that, or at least two end goals that I had. One is that you would fast more often, fast more often. If you joined with us uh, during our 21 days and fasted from Tuesday after your meal until Wednesday, your next evening meal, then I hope that you found that it was beneficial and will make a determination that you will, maybe Tuesday wasn't the best day for you, but it's the day that we asked you to do it and you did it. But I, I do, my encouragement be, would be for you to find a day in which you can just commit to the Lord and, and fast. And I, I pray and believe you found some benefits of spending that extra time with the Lord. And of course, the other end goal of this is that you, you would certainly pray daily uh, or more frequently, and your praying will be just as natural. Uh, as breathing. I, I, I want to note that praying to, to God as our Father really is evidence of our relationship with Him. It's evidence of relationship. It seems to me that Jesus modeled the way you can measure a person's relationship to God is how much they love to pray, how much they love to pray, because it's relational. And I I shared in one of the messages that it it can be a struggle to pray. It can be hard uh, because of distractions and things that may be on your your mind. Everybody wants to go into a prayer time with a mindset that this is just going to be a sweet hour of prayer, right? Just communing with God, you know, just feeling the presence of the Lord, you know, visions of rapture bursting forth. Just, you just want to believe it's that. And then oftentimes you find yourself, you're five minutes uh, into your prayer, and then you're like going to a time warp for 20 minutes because you're, you're thinking either about the last episode of Yellowstone or NCIS or something that you've watched, or your mind goes to, you know, I just remember that I'm going to have this meeting and my child needs to get to soccer practice, so I got to call that person to do to see if they can get him to soccer practice and get him home. And by the way, Johnny still hasn't done his application for a scholarship for school. And, you know, next thing you know, 20 minutes later, you're still in the same posture. You're still down on your knees. And you probably even still got your eyes closed and realized for the last 20 minutes you've been somewhere else 
while instead of having your mind focused uh, on the Lord. That, that happens. And I just uh, encourage you, just, just stick with it. Just stick with it. Don't let that, don't, don't let that be a, 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 an end all or a defeat for you because prayer is the conduit of the power of God. Prayer, prayer is it. Prayer is, is the manner in which you come to God and submit to God and hook into God's power for your life and for your, for your family. And if you, if you cut off prayer, you cut off the power of God. You cut off, when you cut off prayer, you cut off accessing God's goodness and blessing and the opportunities to, to actually spend with our Father. Samuel Chadwick, his quote, this is a quote out of his book, The Path of Prayer. The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from prayer. Our enemy fears nothing from prayerless studies, from prayerless work, or prayerless religion. He fears none of that. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Prayer turns ordinary mortals into men of power. Prayer brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. There is no power like that of prevailing prayer, end of quote. And I, I, I just, I, be, I believe that. So what we're going to look at today is uh, what Jesus had to say uh, about prayer. And obviously, it's an encouragement to pray daily. I actually titled this message, Daily We Get To, talking about what we get to do in prayer. But what Jesus did first, initially, before he went into instructions, in verses 5 through 8, he told them how not to. And uh, it, it reads this way. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you have need before you ask him. So just a couple of thoughts out of that before I uh, dive into the, to the message itself. He, he, he does tell us you, you don't pray to be seen by others. You, just, you, you don't pray to make a show of it. You don't pray, you know, outwardly and boisterously just trying to prove your spirituality with people. He says when you do that, then the reward that you're getting at the time you're doing it is all the reward you're going to get. And basically that's attention. If it's attention that you want, that's what you'll get, but that's all of the reward you're going to get. Now, he counters that by saying, you know, when you pray, you pray uh, in your closet, uh, pray in secret. Now, I, I think you know the idiom there. He's certainly not saying that every time you pray, you go behind a door and you shut the door and you go into your closet, because if that was the case, then Jesus violated his own word so many times in the Scripture, because so many times Jesus prayed publicly. It's, it's the heart of it. When you pray, you never pray to be seen. You pray as if it's just me and the Father. That's what he's saying here. So even when we pray here in public, I want to believe nobody here when we're praying together in public is praying to be seen. If you are, that's just plumb silly. I mean, there's just no reason to do that. We're going before the Lord, and we're doing it in a manner in such a private manner, even though we're in public setting, I'm just going before my father and not having concerns about other people seeing me 
or knowing that I pray. You with me so far? The other part of that, he says, is don't ramble and don't babble. Don't ramble and don't babble. Don't think that God's going to be impressed by, you know, the words you use or, or uh, how many times you say certain things or how loud you get or, or, or how boisterous you get. Uh, we, we see some of these things with, with other religions, and I don't necessarily, I'm not trying to knock another religion, but I will say this. I don't care how many times you say Hail Mary. It don't mean the Lord's going to hear it. So it's not the number of times we do things, not the number of verses out of the Quran, not the, not the manner of chats that we do out of the Hindu Gita. That's, that's, that's not going to necessarily get God's uh, attention and, 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 the, and the babbling with the intensity. There's a, there's, a, there's a wonderful illustration of this, of the difference between uh, pursuing God in a manner of prayer to get his attention and thinking that the more you do, the more attention you get versus just praying simply out of relationship. And it's in 1 Kings chapter 18. It's when Elijah was on Mount Carmel. And uh, to give a, just a little bit of background, the king at that time was Ahab. The queen was Jezebel. They were certainly anti the ways of Judaism, even though that's the manner in which they were raised and they were kings, king and queen over the land. They were leading people to worship idol gods and false prophets, following after Baal. And Elijah the prophet was trying to bring the people back to the place of serving the one true God, the one God that they knew that was their God. But there was always that contention. And uh, Ahab and Jezebel was doing some damage even to those who were pursuing the one God. Uh, Elijah on several occasions had to make sure he wasn't in the same place as Ahab and Jezebel was. But Elijah got fed up with it and just said to the people, listen, you know, you know that you're to serve the one true God, Jehovah, yet you're following after Baal and all of these other idols that Ahab and Jezebel are sending towards you. He said, we need to settle this. You as a people need to be reminded that our God is the one true God. So he calls for a showdown on Mount Carmel, and uh, the prophets of, of uh, Baal, 450 of them, were coming to meet with Elijah, who was just uh, by himself and the people that wanted to gather to, to, to know who they should, should serve. So I, I think I have part of this on the screen. Verse 25 says, Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls, and they placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbled around the altar they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. And he says, you'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming or is relieving himself. I always get a kick out of that. He says, maybe your God's relieving himself, or maybe he's away on a trip, or he's asleep, or needs to be wakened. So they shouted louder, and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. The evening sacrifice was three o'clock. They raved all afternoon, so they went from six in the morning to three o'clock, but there still was no sound, no reply, and no response. Trying to get the attention of their God, thinking the more they do, they cut themselves, break dance, all that kind of stuff, that it was going to get God's attention. 
But here's 1 Kings, the verses following. At the usual time for offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed. So he had them, they had to refix the altar because of all that they had done. They had to repair it, put the, put the wood back. He had them lay the animals out. He even told them to put water all over it, just pour water all over it. Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all that is at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. I don't want you to miss that. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. No, no break dancing, no cutting himself, no hollering out, just walking up and, and praying to the God who is our Father. And it brought down the fire of God. And so... So Jesus is saying, don't do things like that as if that's going to do it. But he teaches us how to go before the Father in relationship. In verses 9 through 13 that we read, he tells us to pray like this. And, and breaking down each of those, uh, those stanzas that he has there, he tells us daily, or this is the encouragement, daily we get to celebrate and cultivate our relationship with him. That's the, that's the crux of prayer is that we actually get to spend time with our Father. We get to celebrate that we do have a relationship with our Father, and we get to cultivate that. That should always be the beginning place, the starting place of prayer should always be from the standpoint that you're talking to your Father. You're talking to your Father. You start with that approach, and everything else seems to fall in place. Now, it was a revolutionary idea revolutionary idea to them because up until that time, they knew God as a father, father of creation, father of life, father of the nation, etc. But it was only when Jesus comes on the scene that they actually see someone on earth who they know is from God that actually calls God father with their own mouth, with his own mouth. First time. So it was revolutionary that they could call God father. Now, for us, there should be no concern about that because we know that he's our father, because he is the one indeed through Christ that has brought us into relationship with him. So we are sons and daughters. Every one of us are sons and daughters of our father. By the blood of Jesus Christ, by faith in Jesus Christ, we all have been adopted as his children. So he rightfully is, and we can rightfully call him our father. So we pray on the basis of that position. But sometimes our prayer life struggles, and sometimes even our relationship with God struggles because we don't have that closeness and that engagement of father and son, as if the father is at a distance and we had a distance relationship with him. But no, that's not, that's not God's fault. That's ours. That, that's our fault. God hasn't abandoned us. We abandon him. God hasn't neglected us. We neglect him. God is not an absentee father. We're absentee children. He always wants to be in a father-son, father-daughter relationship with us. And we want that relationship with him because we need him. 
just like children need their father, we need our father. Listen, Psalm 63.1 says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no, no water. So th- there's something about this. This is clearly telling me that my need is not necessarily something from God, that my true need is just simply God just simply God. And much of our time, sometimes we focus, is, we focus on our needs instead of going before, the, going before the Father in that relationship, knowing that he wants to hear from us. And, and we desire actually to talk to him. Once you get to that place, you'll find your time before him is more full of praise and more full of thanksgiving. I don't like to hammer on this a lot because I think People can really take this out of context. But he does use the Aramaic word that does translate to daddy. I just don't like when people get too loose and go around all the time saying, my daddy, my daddy, my daddy, you get me confused. I'm not sure who you're talking about. But, but, uh, but, he, but he does use that kind of intimate relationship. And, and all of us, I know I think of, my, of, 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 of our children. And they don't have to, they don't have to uh, change their heart uh, for me to love them or, or for me to give them affection or, or for them to have the love uh, from us even when they failed. Because the, because the gospel tells us that being adopted in the family is a finished work of that relationship. So on the natural side, it's a done deal. On the spiritual side, it's the same with Christ. We are in the status now a family. We don't have to earn it at all. We don't have to earn a position before the Father. We don't have to do anything even after we failed. The Scripture says we can be no more accepted by him than we already are by trusting and believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Because of that, we are now children of God, and at any given time, even when you're going before him to confess your sin, you can start out by saying, Father, because you are accepted in the beloved. And every time we go in the throne room to seek him out, you ought to feel a sense of him saying to you, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, in you I'm well pleased. Am I talking to the right church? And so, and so if, you were to, if you were to choose a word, that if you could describe God with one word, if I said to you, give me one word that describes God to you, you might say awesome, which would be right. You may say glorious, which would be right. You may say judge, which would be right. You may say savior, which would be right. You may say Lord, which would be right. But I hope the one word that you always describe God first is father. He's father first. He's father above all else. Him being father assures me that I'm his son and his daughter. So J.R. Packer said it this way, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as, as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. That's a great quote. That's a great quote. Understanding and knowing God as Father. Oftentimes, what, what happens with a lot of us is our relationship with God the Father 
is either filtered or restricted by our thoughts and relationship with our Heavenly Father or biological fathers. Uh, I read a book a few years ago, um, The Existence of God by um, Richard K. Simmons III, not Holly Jolly Richard Simmons, but Richard K. Simmons III. And in that, in that book, he, he, there was a, well, there were several chapters that talked about atheists. Uh, he, 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 he spoke about Freud and Huxley and, and Hume and Voltaire, all of them. And he said, every one of them, when you hear their story or they tell their story, every one of them to the T had a bad relationship with their father. And it affected their faith and belief. As a matter of fact, here's a quote from Freud in the book. Freud said this, nothing destroys someone's faith in God like a bad relationship with their father. Strong statement, but it, it's, it's a fact. It can be the case. It can be the weightiest factor on you working through the whole issue of father. Without going into it, I shared in the first service about when 2009 when I came to the podium to preach a message out of the Lord's Prayer and struggled with the very first one when it said our father. Even though the message was prepared and ready, I went on to the next stanza because that sermon was ready because I was, if there was one thing that I struggled with in my faith and my Christianity up until that time was rather I could really, really trust God as my father because of the abandonment and disappointment that I've had all of my life from my father. Could I really trust God? I stood up there and made a decision. It was within, with, with some emotion that I was not going to be a hypocrite and try to lead the church to a place that I had never gotten to myself until I dealt with that issue in my own heart, in my own life, which took me about two or three weeks to get there to that point, to recognize that my, that my relationship with God, my Father, is not based on the relationship with my biological Father, but based on the work of the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, so we come to God as Father and knowing that He cherishes, cherishes us that he loves us. He feels every pain that you go through. He knows you better than, than you know yourself. He's, he's a father that will be with you in trouble and a father that will bring you back to safety. As we saw with Elijah, I, I told you not to forget this point because Elijah prayed, Lord, that they will see you and you will bring them back to yourself. He's a God and father that brings us out of trouble and back to himself. He takes us out of captivity and brings us back into safety. That's the kind of father that we have. Isaiah 43, 1 through 5 says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. I, I should be able to finish reading that and say amen and you got something out of that. I mean, the very promise that this is what God says to us right there. He's going to keep you from drowning. He's going to keep you from burning. He's not going to let you be overwhelmed with oppression. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious to me. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're precious. You are precious to me. You are honored. And I love you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will gather you and your children from east and west. Listen to that promise. He said, listen, I'm always going to bring my children back. I'm always going to bring them back into relationship with me. Now, I, I, I'm going to be absolutely honest with you. I, I don't want to be sacrilegious, but I absolutely struggled on whether I should use this illustration. But I did in first service. 
Nobody threw tomatoes or threw stones or threw bottles. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it again. I, I'm a big Liam Neeson fan. I like watching his movies. And uh, pr- there's several of his that I like, but my favorite is Taken. It's my favorite one. And Taken 1, 2, 3, you know, is, is uh, somebody gets taken, obviously. That's the title, right? <laughs> so, you, so you don't have to read the plot to know what this movie is about. Somebody's going to get took, right? So... But the, but the first one, uh, his daughter's in Paris with her friend. He's on, she's on the phone with her dad. Her dad's a former uh, FBI, CIA guy. Uh, and uh, she's on the phone with her dad. While she's in there, somebody breaks into their place and begins to go get the girl that she's there with. And she tells her dad, somebody's in here. And, uh, and it looks like they're trying to take my friend. And he said, they're going to take you also. So he says, go underneath a bed. Keep the phone on. Anything that you see, anything you hear, you shout it out to me in the phone so he could get the intel that he, uh, that he needed. Well, then they, they eventually bring the daughter out from underneath the bed, and she's holding the, the phone in her hand. He picks up the phone, knows that there's somebody on the other line so Liam can hear him breathing. I can't do the Irish accent <laughs> at all, but he, but, he, but he says this. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have is a very particular set of skills, skills that I've acquired over a very long career, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that will be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will kill you. I will find you, and I will kill you. That's my father. My God is going to come get me. My God is going to come rescue me. My God will do everything he had. And trust me, my father got some skills. My father will come and rescue me. And so daily, we get to celebrate and cultivate that relationship with our father. The second thing is this daily, we get to reorient toward God's kingdom and purposes. Because he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. And that's really the center of it. So many times we pray for things. And if you'll be honest, 80% of our prayers sometimes can be me-centered. Me-centered. Praying for this for me and that for me and this. And I want that and I need that. And what about this? And can you fix that? And can you take care of that? But God's primary agenda, folks, is not to make my, for him to set an agenda for my personal comfort or my personal ease or relief or pleasure. It does not mean in, my, in our relationship with God, we don't have that. Because I think every one of you can know with Christ Jesus, you've had some amazing days. I don't want to hear people say, my life was better before I served the Lord. Lies. Your life is always better since you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And there are days of ease, and there are days of relief, and there are days of comfort, but that's not God's agenda. God's agenda is his kingdom, his kingdom coming into our life, his kingdom ruling in our life, his kingdom ruling in the life of others, his kingdom ruling over heavens and the earth. And so our prayers are to be motivated by the gospel. 
the lens of our life ought to be the gospel. It's, 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 it's the purpose of God is through the gospel. From the moment that, that sin entered to the world, God's whole mission was to redeem mankind and to reconcile man unto himself. So it's all about redeeming. It's all about reconciling. It's all about restoring. It's all about remaking the image of mankind into his son. That's God's eternal purpose. So our prayers should be kingdom stuff. What, what God wants to do in the life of churches and ministries and families and in marriages and people being reconciled and redeemed. So it, we pray about those things, the kingdom stuff, God's faithfulness working in the lives of, of others. So we should be praying for our kids and praying for our bosses and praying for our coworkers that the kingdom of God will come in their life. That should be the prayer. Not that I can make more money and buy more stuff and and do more things and get rich and all of that nonsense. Let God take care of that when God wants to take care of it. You ain't missing out on nothing in this life. Whatever God gives you, which I'll get to in just a minute. I didn't jump ahead of myself because I feel a little preach coming on. That's why I'm jumping ahead of myself. But but God will always give you you, uh, what you need. But we need to learn how to pray more kingdom oriented. God gives us an opportunity to work with him for the things of the kingdom of God. And that does bring the third one. That's the daily, uh, daily we get to affirm our dependence on God because he does provide our daily needs. This is the first ask in the scripture. The first thing that, that we have an opportunity or he's encouraging us to ask is the, is the daily stuff just to cultivate that affirmation that we do depend on God. Now, you know this comes from when the the children of Israel was going uh, from Egypt to the promised land. They had to go through the Red Sea, and they had to travel light. He told them, don't try to pack up a bunch of stuff. Get some jewelry from your neighbors. You'll be able to use use that along the way, but don't be packing up the cart with check-in luggage. You go with carry-on. Just carry-on, because you got to get someplace. We're moving 1.6 million of y'all. We got to get moving. We can't, everybody can't be checking bags in, trying to get to where we're going. You got to go through the Red Sea. They couldn't even bring food, but he said, I will provide for you daily. And sure enough, he did. Every day he provided for them just like he promised. And sure enough, I mean, it was manna. I don't actually know what manna is. It was more like, I'm going to say like, potato flakes or something. I don't know, but, but it was something like that. But every day he fed them. And, but that wasn't enough. They started complaining. So, he, so then he started sending some quail, sending some, some meat. You talking about quail season, didn't have to fire a shot. God was bringing quail to him. But he always provided daily. And the, the, what he wants us to know is that we need to depend upon him for our daily needs, our daily stuff. And trust me, just like God did it then, he still does it now. God still provides. Nobody that's a believer, that's a child of God, will ever lack in what you need. He'll always give it to you. Now, you may be looking at me and say, well, I tell you what, I got at the end of the month, and I didn't have enough money for my car payment. That's not God's fault. That's your fault. Maybe you got a car that you didn't need. Maybe you should have paid cash instead of going down there and put it on credit. And I, I don't want to mess with you, but I'm going to. I'm already in it now. I'm in deep water, so I might as well swim. Let me tell you something. God will give you every, No, y'all sit down. I ain't ready yet. God, God will give you. I ain't ready. I'll call you when I'm ready. God will give you everything you need. 
He'll give you everything you need and the desires of your heart. But trust me on this. The desires of your heart don't cost you nothing. The desires of your heart don't cost you nothing. Give me five more minutes, seven more minutes. The desires of your heart don't, co- don't, cost, don't, cost you, don't cost you anything. The blessings of the Lord is without sorrow. So if there's some sorrow in your life because you don't think you have what you need, it ain't a blessing from God. It's something you decided you wanted, you needed, and did on your own. Because he always will give you everything you need. I need a big amen to move on from here. He'll give you everything you need. And so, and it's not just our physical needs, but also spiritually. God wants us to be healthy spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. And he's, he's able to do that. The scripture says that he's the bread of life. He's the bread of life. He said, man cannot live uh, by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of his mouth. And so, we need God to provide for us daily that our heart will be at ease, that our minds will be in a good place. How many know sometimes we struggle more when we're emotionally jacked up than we are when we're physically jacked up? Sometimes we struggle more when we're psychologically off balance than when something's going on in our body. Am I talking to the right church? We need the Lord to do that. So when I'm weary and I'm worn out, I need the Lord to recharge me. When I'm walking in darkness, I need light. When I'm walking in confusion, I need clarity. When I'm discouraged and broken, I need the Lord to put me back together. When I'm walking into a place and don't know what to do or don't have understanding, I need wisdom. When I'm insecure, I need to know I'm standing on the firm foundation. He's able to give us everything we need. Can you say amen? All right, y'all, come on up. Thank you. Just wanted to make sure I got through that part. The fourth thing is this, daily... We get to receive forgiveness and give forgiveness. Daily, we get to receive forgiveness and give forgiveness. This, this is a big deal because we do have blind spots, don't we? We got faults in our life. We got some errors in our life. We got sins in our life. Some things we don't see. Some things we don't want to see. Some things we can't see. And oftentimes, I, I, you know, you, you, just, you just come to the point sometimes and to the place to where every time you think somebody has done something against you, they probably didn't do that intentionally, right? And you just come to the place to where you just, you just forgive people. You just release things. It doesn't mean you don't have to deal with it at times and you don't, you don't have to uh, discuss it. All of that probably is in, is in right order. But the reason that we do that is because we do things against God and sometimes go right on through it. I mean, we go right through the red light. We go right through the railroad crossing. We go right through everything that God is, is saying and speaking to our life and blow right on through it, then get down the road and think, oh my goodness, I think I'm into something that I shouldn't have never been into. And even at that moment, in the middle of all that, you can say to God, Lord, I take ownership of what I've done and he'll forgive you. And so what he's saying is since we have, God has, God forgives us because the scripture is clear. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And understand this, confession is not saying you're sorry. Confession is going before, the God, before God and owning the rebellion, agreeing that I've done something, God, that's not right before you. It's taking ownership of it. And he forgives us. He cleanses us of all unrighteousness. So he's saying, since God does that for us, and we ask him to. When I pray this prayer every, uh, every morning, I even say to the Lord, forgive me of the things that I don't even know that I've done that, been, that might be affecting somebody. 
that I don't even know. And Lord, reveal it to me. I'll say that. Lord, reveal it to me. Show me if there's something I need to respond to. Because your heart is, as the Lord forgives you, which he will, that you so easily forgive others. You so easily forgive others. And finally this, daily we get to follow the graceful leading of the Father. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Those, those moments when you need to be directed out of temptation. You know as well as I do, your flesh doesn't tell you get up out of the situation. Your flesh ain't telling you that. It's the Spirit of God directing you, leading you out of it. He always makes a way of escape, doesn't he? He always shows you here's a way out. Flesh is saying you don't got to go. You ain't got to listen to nobody. You can do whatever you want to do. No, no, no. Spirit of God is leading you out of, of, of things that, that can be temptation. Flesh will never say no to what is wrong, but the Spirit of God will direct you. He's leading us from the evil one, the one that's prowling about. And it's his grace that does that. It's his grace that does it. I'm telling you, I've been serving the Lord for a long time, been pastoring this church almost uh, 30 years. And I'm going to tell you, I'm still in desperate need of God's grace. Reminded oftentimes of the song that, that says this, I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I need the grace of God to be on me, that I can sing that song through many dangers and toils and snares I've already come. Grace has brought me this far, and grace will lead me home. It's that leadership. It's that guidance. It's that, it's that grace. Now, I'm going to close with this verse. Well, the portion of this verse that says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And I know some of you may not have that in your translation, but there's a truth to that. Because ultimately, the reason that we do pray, the reason we have this relationship with the Father, is because we do recognize that the kingdom is His. It's not ours. We're not creating our own world. The kingdom is His. Any power that we need comes from Him. And the glory that awaits us is also from Him. The kingdom, the power, the glory, it's His. And God will remind us of that. You want to do it in a submitted, humble way, but I think of the story of Nebuchadnezzar in, in uh, Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar came in as a young man, king of Babylon, the Chaldeans, took uh, the people of Israel into exile and uh, built the hanging gardens of Babylon, built the most wonderful, beautiful kingdom in the known world at that time. One day he walks up on, on his uh, veranda or walks out up on his, his uh, balcony looks over the kingdom and says, look at this great kingdom that I have built. Soon as he took the glory from God, soon as he made that statement, the scripture says that Nebuchadnezzar right there in front of his people became an animal. He crawled out of his palace and lived like an animal in the field for seven years because he didn't recognize that all kingdoms, all power, all glory belongs to the Almighty God. For seven years, he was out there like a wild beast. But then, but then verse 34 says this. He says, after this, this is Nebuchadnezzar writing. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned. And I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. I, I'm going to tell you, that's a wonderful truth. You will live in a life of chaos if you keep looking at your life instead of looking up to heaven. 
you'll, you'll live a life of insanity. If you want to get your mind back and your sanity back, get your eyes off of you and the stuff and look up to heaven. Look up to heaven. He said, the moment I looked up to heaven, my sanity returned to me. And then I praised and then I worshiped and then I honored God. What does that tell me? People that are sane are worshipers. People that are insane are not. You want some sanity? You want to be looked upon as a sane person? Worship the almighty God. He said, all rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and glorify and honor the King of heaven. That's your father. Your father, his kingdom, his power, his dominion, his rule, his authority, his glory. That's your father that you get to have a relationship with and have the joy of walking and talking with every day of your life. Everybody stand if you would. Prayer team, you can come. Thank you guys for your patience. Didn't mean to holler at you in front of everybody but God bless you. I'm, uh, prayer team will come. They're always here to pray for you. And uh, I'm sure, you know, there's, there's, a level of, there's a level of comfort sometimes to have folks join with you in prayer, whatever that prayer need might be, whether it's something in your body, physical healing that you need, whether there's some, some decision you got to make and you want somebody to pray with you. Maybe you're carrying a burden or a weight of something. Maybe it's a family crisis or a matter that you really know you need the help of God with. The scripture says when two or three join together, he's in the midst. There's just the power of an agreement. So we always want to have the altars open for you to come and pray. But of course, wherever you are or even at the altar, you can make that commitment to Jesus Christ. Everything I said about God being your father, he is only your father if you trust his son Jesus Christ for salvation. You can only come into the family through Jesus Christ. So if you haven't made that commitment to Jesus, I'm telling you, all, everything I shared, it's all for you. But it begins with trusting Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins so that you can hear the words from God of heaven, you are my son, you are my daughter, and it's in you that I'm well pleased. So that opportunity for you to make that commitment to Jesus is also here. I'm going to pray, though. I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute. I want to pray for people who might have had some struggles that I had, where I had a hard time believing and trusting God as Father. I mean, I'm, this is 2009. I'm years into pastoring, years into my Christian faith, and knew the one area that I struggled with is whether I could trust God as Father because of how I filtered the relationship with my biological father and tried to connect that to God. So I'm going to pray for you. And so every head bow and every eye closed. Father, I want to thank you for being a good father, one that you've proven yourself, that you love me in spite of myself. You, you love me, Lord, in spite of whatever relationship I had or didn't have with my biological father. You're faithful. You're true. Your purposes, Lord God, in my life are, are being worked out. And I say thank you, Lord, Everything that you do for me is a yes and amen because you are my father. And Lord, there may be others that struggle with their biological father, their natural father, man who raised them, and oftentimes get a little bit off kilter in how they think about you or how they see you. 
not that they try to, but it just becomes part of their makeup. So I, do, I pray for a healing in the house today. I pray for a ministry, Lord God, upon the hearts and the minds of young men and young ladies who may have a hard time seeing you as a gracious, caring, affirming, loving, safe, trusted father because they haven't had that in their life. Lord, you're able to fix it right now. You're able to pour out your spirit and your love to them right now. You're able to reaffirm to them over and over again that you are a God that will never leave them. You will never forsake them. You will not abandon them. You're not an absentee father. You're not an angry father. You're not a hostile father. You're not a violent father. You're not a scary father. You're a loving father. You're a father to be there with every step of their life. So, Holy Spirit, do your work. For those, Lord God, that are in the house that need to acknowledge you as their father, I pray indeed that they will accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. May the people of God say amen. And God bless you. The altars is open. Come on up. Be, receive ministry. We're going to go into a song and uh, you'll be dismissed. I've seen you move. You move the mountains. And I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way. And I believe I'll see Still stands. Great is your faithfulness.